If you would, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1. Last week we began our new series on Mark. Uh, We are going verse by verse by verse by verse through the entire book. And last week was more of the history, the precursor, um, giving some background on Mark, giving background... A couple background items I would like to put in front of your mind as we get started, just by way of review, are these. One, Mark is most likely the eyewitness account of the Apostle Peter, as interpreted and written down by Mark. Mark, John Mark in Scripture, he has an interesting history, um, and we talked about that last, uh, last week, but Mark as a... According to 1 Peter, he was like a son to Peter. He traveled with Paul and Peter, one of the luckiest people ever. Um, and Peter was his fatherly mentor, and he was with Peter quite a bit in Rome. And We believe he wrote this in Rome, and it was delivered and written somewhere in about AD 65, which was about a year after Nero had burnt the city to the ground, 80% of it anyway, blamed it on the Christians, The Christians are being persecuted and meeting in secret in the catacombs and other places. And we believe the very first audience that got this book were those Christians in Rome persecuted. Now, that gospel, it was spread throughout. And uh, obviously, uh, throughout all of history, it's been a a part of uh, of the canon of Scripture. But the reason I think that's important is just keeping in mind who the very first group was that probably read this letter. Um, so that's just some review to be keeping in mind as we, as we go through this. We're going to read the first eight verses this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. And uh, let's read them, let's pray, and then we will dive in. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the reading of your word. We thank you for this gospel that is delivered to the saints that is given to us to encourage, to help, to instruct, to correct. God, I pray this morning you would open our hearts and our eyes to see, Lord, your work, your work in history and your work right now in this room with these people. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, I pray, God, they would hear like John the Baptist preached, there is a Messiah coming. Lord, we thank you for that, and we give you glory for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me just reemphasize again uh, as we go through Mark. It is, I don't want to call it the Cliff Notes version, but it is the staccato, 
pop, 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 pop. It's just going to go like it's like popcorn. Uh, it, it doesn't have a drawn out narrative. It's, it's hitting highlights all the way through. And right off the bat, Mark is telling us in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you go to the book of Matthew and if you go to the book of Luke, you get a much longer drawn out, you get the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke, right? In Luke, you get a big long description of John the Baptist. Remember, Zechariah and his uh, and Elizabeth and there's this big prophecy and he doesn't believe it and he's struck mute and all of that. In Matthew, you get the, uh, the longer version of the, what we call the Christmas story. You get this long, detailed introduction to Jesus and John the Baptist. In the book of John, you get the same thing, except it's more on the theological end. It's dealing with the Trinity. It's dealing with uh, that Jesus is the promised light that is the life of men. But in Mark, you get the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I am laying my cards on the table. Verse 1, that's what this is. Here's what we're talking about. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the gospel, the word gospel means good news. And in history, this word was actually used of the Caesars when they were throwing big parties and big celebrations of how great they were. It really means joyful tidings. Some translations actually use that word. And the readers would recognize the parallel, especially if they were in Rome, that what Mark is saying is, you want good news? Here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Period. Let's get rolling. That is kind of the way that Mark is starting it off. And he immediately wants his readers, and he wants you and me, God wants us to immediately see that there is a connection between what happened in their lifetime, that this original audience, and the Old Testament promises and prophecies. He wants to make the connection, and he does by immediately saying, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then he quotes Exodus. And Malachi and Isaiah. When you read these verses, you see, I don't know if your Bible, does your Bible put it in italics or does it kind of separate it out so you can tell? It's really helpful if you have a Bible that does that, that'll break it out and show you that, okay, this is a quotation from the Old Testament. Well, Mark says it's written in Isaiah the prophet, but it's really, he's quoting three Old Testament passages you don't, you don't have to turn there. It's Exodus 23.20, it's Malachi 3.1, and it's Isaiah 43. And he squishes them all together like a scriptural casserole and says, here it is. This is what was said about a messenger that's coming. This morning, what I want to do out of this text is I want to give you three promises that, that are being delivered to us in these eight verses. There, there are three promises, and these promises are coming from the Old Testament, and Mark is telling us, here they are. It's here. It's here. From Mark's point of view, this has already happened. But for the, uh, the folks that John the Baptist is talking to, they were in the midst of it. So, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. It's really interesting 
how when he squishes all these verses together, and he says Isaiah, and we believe the reason he would have said, as Isaiah said, and then he puts three separate passages together, that Isaiah being the most dominant and most prominent prophetic book uh, that the Jews would be interested in and the, and the people uh, at this time listening that they would be interested in. That's why he kind of says this is from Isaiah. Even though when any Jewish person would have read this, they would have known, oh yeah, that's, there's other verses being mentioned here. But the reason he could do that, this isn't some willy-nilly decision by Mark, the reason he can do that is because the rabbis were doing that. You don't, you don't think that we are the very first people uh, to, to make commentary on Scripture. In Jesus' day, they were already making, they had been making for a long time commentary on Scripture. In other words, the rabbis, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they had these books, uh, the Mishnah was one of them, they, they were commentaries on the Old Testament Scripture, and you can learn a lot reading the Mishnah and finding out throughout the centuries, this is what the Jews believed about some of these verses. In particular, what's really interesting is what they believed about the Messianic prophecy, prophecies uh, that, and what was coming, and the way they interpreted all kinds of stuff. In fact, if you remember, and we will see it, Jesus is going to say these words... You have heard it said, but I say to you. How many, how many times have you guys heard that uh, from Jesus? You have heard it said, but I say to you. So that is exactly uh, Jesus. That is a, a direct reference to the Mishnah and some of the popular teachings of that day. So rabbis had put these verses together and they had connected it to promise number one, which is, there's a messenger coming, and it's Elijah. So, Mark is connecting John the Baptist to Elijah, and he does that with a couple different passages. Uh, the Exodus 23.20, Malachi 3.1, Isaiah 43. Okay, I already told you that. Let me, let's go over to the book of Luke. I want to see what Jesus had to say in a little more detail about John the Baptist being connected to Elijah. Luke chapter 1. This is, this is when the angel was talking to Zechariah about who John the Baptist will be. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah." to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Where, where exactly is that coming from? 
where exactly is this angel drawing this language from? He's actually drawing it from Malachi chapter 4. Now Malachi, let's scooch back to Malachi, which is the very last book of the Old Testament. I did have it marked. Malachi chapter 4. Verse 5. These are the very last verses of the Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Or your translation may say, strike the earth with a curse. That was the very last words of the Old Testament, and they were saying, I am sending to you Elijah again. So those verses that, that Mark is quoting out of Exodus and out of Malachi 3.1 and out of Isaiah 40, those verses that the rabbi said, that's a reference to Elijah that's coming. They're, they're referring to Malachi chapter 4 where the, the prophet is saying, uh, before the great day of the Lord comes there is a forerunner. There's somebody else coming first. He is going to be Elijah again. Now they, there was debate, okay, is it literally Elijah again, or is it, what is it? So there was all kinds of debate. I'm sure that brings immediate questions to people's minds. But they, they, they knew that according to Scripture, that Elijah was coming again to prepare the people for the great day of the Lord that was coming. So that is what Mark is doing. He is tying this Old Testament prophecy and expectation of this return of Elijah to John the Baptist. And we know that that is exactly what and who John the Baptist was because Jesus tells us that he was in Matthew 11. So everybody go to Matthew 11. It's just the very next book in the Bible, after Malachi. Just trying to lay down some scriptural homework for everybody. So you can see what's going on. This is Jesus talking about John the Baptist. Which, everybody remembers that John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin? Everybody remembers that? Wouldn't that be awesome if Jesus was your first cousin? This is what Jesus said, verse 7. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? I wonder if that's a joke. I'm not entirely sure. Anyway. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, John the Baptist. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus confirms that what the rabbis were teaching is true. There is a messenger that's preparing the way for the great and awesome day of the Lord. But this is where you have to recognize that the expectations of Israel and the coming of the Son of of God versus the reality of what God was doing were totally different because they truly believed, and it wasn't without reason, they truly believed that when the Messiah came, it was in a conquering fashion. And they truly believed that when this messenger was coming to prepare the way, that it, what it really meant was prepare the way for a guy on a horse with a sword and an army behind him to stomp to death these Romans or whoever was occupying them and restore the kingdom of God through Israel, nationally, physically, literally. Which is why, all throughout the book of Mark, they are rejecting Him and hating Him and ultimately crucify Him because He is not what they thought was coming. But I want you to see that the promise of a messenger was fulfilled in John the Baptist as he fulfills the role of Elijah coming again. Um, And we know too, so go back to Mark, but we know that God was at work because I want you to notice what it says in uh, verse 4. John appeared, like he just, he appeared. He came out of nowhere baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was not in town trying to be cool for all the cool kids and to be relevant for all the up-to-date, relevant, hip Jerusalem folks or people in the temple or he wasn't trying to get up with the, the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the scribes. He is out in the wilderness near the River Jordan and he is dressed inappropriately. He is wearing camel's hair. The Bible specifically mentions that, and you can hear it in Jesus' description. Did you go out to see a guy in soft clothing? Because you guys saw him, right? You know what he looked like, right? He probably had sticks in his hair. He probably had dreads, and not cool dreads. He probably had involuntary dreads. Uh, He's He's out there in the wilderness eating locusts. I remember somebody trying to tell that it was some kind of plant. No, he was eating grasshoppers. He's eating grasshoppers and wild honey. He is the epitome of an Old Testament type prophet. And he comes into the wilderness. And how in the world do you draw a crowd in the wilderness? Especially when you're preaching things like Hey Pharisees, you're a bunch of brood of vipers. Who warned you of the 
coming judgment. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. That sounds like a message that would draw lots of, lots of crowds of religious leaders. What would cause you to come out to hear a guy in camel's hair, got a leather belt, he's eating locust and wild honey, he probably doesn't smell great, he's crazy looking, and he's fiery in his preaching. The Spirit of God is on him. And all look at what it says in verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. This is what we would call revival. And that is exactly what it is. Revival is not something that happens because you did all the right things and pushed all the right buttons and moved everything into the right position and got the atmosphere just right. Revival happens on God's timetable and He says it is time for Israel to be made ready for the coming of Jesus Christ the Messiah because it's not like He's coming way down the road. He's already here. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist comes out on the scene. He looks like a maniac. He is in the wilderness. And he's preaching repentance. Repent. Get right with God. He is making straight the paths of the Lord. So God is at work. And all these people are going out into the wilderness to get baptized in the river. Now just because I can't help it, notice that he wasn't sprinkled. The river Jordan was deep. They dunked them under the water. That's just, that's just one of the reasons we believe in baptizing all the way under the water. Now, Mark just lays out, okay, this is, this is who he is. This is what he did. Throughout, church, or throughout the uh, Jewish history, uh, in this timetable, do you know that John the Baptist actually gets as much or more press from non-Christian sources as Jesus? Because he, he created a big stir. So big, he winds up being beheaded. You guys know that's his ultimate fate. So John the Baptist was a big deal. And he was the fulfillment of promise number one. And promise number two is that this messenger, this Elijah to come is telling everybody about the Messiah. So look with me at verse 7. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He, he is saying... I recognize that God has anointed me as a prophet. This is the last Old Testament prophet. He's got one job. And that one job is to call Israel to repentance for the specific purpose of the literal Messiah is here. The Son of God is here. Get ready. Get ready. That's what he's saying. And there was such an urgency to what he was saying, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that all of Judea and Jerusalem are going out to hear this message. 
And John tells us, I am not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandal. That is significant because the untying of sandals was a job that servants or slaves did in the first century. These folks that had money and they had servants, they would walk into the house, the sandals are open-toed, there aren't blacktop roads, everything is dirty, your feet are filthy, and since there's animals and donkeys and everything else traveling around, you can imagine what your feet are filthy with. Dirt, mud, and doo-doo. Right? I just want you to have the perfect picture of the feet. And you walk into your house, you as a powerful and wealthy person are not going to reach down into that mess and mess with it. You have a servant for that. So you sit down and the servant takes your sandals off. He gets to touch the grossness. That's what you are paying him for. And he washes your feet. That was the servant's job. That's why later when Jesus washes the feet, it's a big giant deal. Okay? But here, John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to touch his sandals. And he recognizes, I know I'm a prophet declaring to you that he's coming, and I am not worthy to touch his sandals. He is the coming king. The Messiah is coming. That is what, that's what he's saying. In fact, in John 1.29, there's so much that he says about Jesus, but in John 1.29, when he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we already read in Malachi chapter 3, we read, or excuse me, chapter 4, where he said that it's the great and awesome day of the Lord. So, the promise that John the Baptist is there to declare is that there's a Messiah coming. And he's got one more promise that he declares. Look at verse 8. I have baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Have you thought of the fact that Jesus is our baptizer? I mean, that's what He just said, right? Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, put yourself in their shoes. You're hearing John the Baptist. You are out in the wilderness on a riverbank. Here is a guy in camel's hair, tunic, looking like he looks, you know that something is different. You know something is up. You have a sneaking suspicion this is the Elijah that was to come. I, I find myself in a day where something is radical and happening. This is, wow! Because 400 years had passed since Malachi. This is the first prophet in over 400 years. And they, they know it. And they're, they're repenting of their sin and He's baptizing them. There's people standing all around that are drying off in the sun from being dunked under the water. And John in his preaching says, I baptize you with water in this baptism of repentance. But when He comes, He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. 
Now you as a Jewish person hearing this message have to wrap your head around what? And so the third promise, the most powerful promise here, is what is about to take place through the ministry of Jesus. These promises would not have been totally foreign to them. I want you to go, there's a couple verses I want you to see. Ezekiel 36.26. So, Daryl, if you could put that up on the screen. This is a prophecy, you've heard it before. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What's the, the next verse? I'm not sure if I wanted the next verse or not. Yes, I did. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ezekiel prophesied that a day was coming when God would take out the stony heart and replace it with a soft heart. And then he goes on to say exactly what that's going to look like. I will put my spirit in you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my own statutes. This is a prophecy of what the new birth is going to look like. The new birth, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, was totally different in the Old Testament than it was in the New Testament. And so Ezekiel's prophecy lets everybody know, I'm going to begin to change the hearts of people by My Spirit because My Spirit will be in you. Go to Ezekiel 37, verse 14. He continues, Ezekiel does, And I will put My Spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. The people of Israel had an expectation for a day when the Spirit of God would be in them. Go to Joel chapter 2. This is quoted in Acts when Peter has his sermon in Joel chapter 2. And it's verse 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out My Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Joel is prophesying, Ezekiel is prophesying, that there is a day coming when the Spirit of God is going to be poured out, and specifically in the new birth, you're going to get a new heart, and also the Holy Spirit in a full explosion on sons and daughters there will be gifts, there will be prophecy, there will be visions, there will be dreams because the Holy Spirit is going to be bringing all of that. But the, the, big, the big deal is, is that they were looking forward to that. There was an expectation of that. And John the Baptist tells us, I've baptized you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is connecting Jesus to these prophecies. John the Baptist is telling them, this is the Messiah. This is the King. This is the Son of God who is going to 
take away the sin of the world and put His Spirit within those who believe, put a new heart in those who repent and turn to Him, not only will you repent from your sin and then have to go sacrifice a goat or a bull, you're not going to be doing that anymore. You are going to come to Christ, the last sacrifice, the Lamb of God. He's going to put a new spirit within you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and live in you. You're going to be baptized, immersed, dunked, filled with His Spirit. Promise number three, it is right here. It is right now. And that's what John the Baptist is out there telling people. It would have been a radical message. It would have been radical to hear it. It would have been terrifying in some ways. And the expectations would have been all over the place. As you're going to see, the religious leaders don't like it. A lot of the regular folk wind up not liking it because they think it's going to be another way. But there are a lot of people whose lives are about to be turned upside down in the book of Mark. The thing that I want you to take away from the sermon this morning is God has promises, and He fulfills them. God promised that there would be a messenger come, and there was. God promised that there was going to be a Messiah coming, and He did. And He promised that that Messiah would do something new through the Holy Spirit, and He did. God fulfills His promises. Always. Scripture is cohesive. It's not disconnected from it. it there is a flow from the Old Testament and the New Testament where, where God is showing His faithfulness. Now, 400 some years is going on between, these, between Malachi and John the Baptist. 430 some years. I don't know if you've done the math on that, but our country is not any older than 244 years. So, so do, the, do the, the weight, the heritage, the, the math that God's timing in fulfillment is certainly not ours. But when He does fulfill, it seems like it just starts comes out of nowhere because that's what this is... That's what this is going to feel like as we go through the book of Mark. Because once John the Baptist shows up, he appeared, verse 4, he appears. And once he's there, it's like, oh my gosh! Oh my gosh, oh my gosh! You know like when you get to the top of the roller coaster? How many of you are slightly scared of roller coasters? Go ahead and raise your hands. Just, you, and you know how when you get up the courage to get on it, and it's just, it's, it's the greatest mechanism in the world, that click, click, click. Click. It's like a time bomb, right? If you're scared of it, it's like, oh no, we're all going to die. And you click, click, click to the top. And, and I'll never forget the, fir the first time I was old enough to ride the beast at Kings Island. I may have ridden the beast. I mean the old beast. The old one, not the one for all the pansies with the shoulder strap. I mean the 1980s version 
of the beast that had a bar that was like this far removed so that you had plenty of space to leave your seat and bang up against it so you get the sensation of near imminent death. Uh, and, and really, I don't know how more people didn't die uh, riding the beast because that bar, and when you are in seventh grade and you weigh about 62 pounds uh, and you're six feet tall, like I was, I was a string bean, and uh, you, I was flying about, I was terrified and exhilarated. I think I got back on it immediately. But I remember clicking up to the top, this old wood smell of the roller coaster, thoughts of, I wonder if this is rotten wood. Is that what I'm smelling? Kind of like at Cannon Park uh, here, if you really want an experience. Uh, anyway, um, so that, that feeling when you get to the top of the roller coaster and then it goes. They, they've been clicking up to this point. And if you can picture just like, oh, well, I guess we're just going through the motions of click, 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 click. Just normal life, just clicking along, click, click. And then, but once it happens, it all starts happening. And a lot of times with God, it seems that way. It really does seem that way. It's just, well, just it just seems like everything's normal and I'm just going along. When when God goes and does what He does in our lives and in history, it just seems like it's happening out of nowhere. But it's not happening out of nowhere. It's been planned for, well, since before the foundation of the world. This was the time. This morning, I want you to be encouraged that, that God knows what He's doing and that God has a purpose in His timing, and that God is always faithful in fulfilling His promises. Always. 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 And the hope of the world, the hope of the Gospel, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, is that He came to save us from our sin. We're reading about how God exploded on the scene in these first eight verses. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank You this morning. We thank You for Your promises. You promised Israel that Elijah would come again, and he did in the prophet John the Baptist. You promised that there was a Messiah coming, and He came. And You promised that He was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. In Luke, John the Baptist says he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire. Lord, I thank You that salvation by Your Spirit is not some fragile, weak, I made a decision when I was seven years old event, but God, it is the powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God in the lives of people who repent and believe. Lord, we don't have to be experts. We simply have to turn to You and believe. So Lord, I pray this morning, if there are any people listening, watching online or here in this room, that don't know You, God, I pray that You would do the work, the drawing work of the Holy Spirit on their heart, 
that they would see Jesus as the Savior of their life, the forgiver of sins who died for them, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they can have a new heart as you put your Spirit within them. God, I thank You for that truth this morning. Lord, we give You glory, we give You honor, and we give You praise today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. What we want to do before we go, um, we're going to pray for Don. He's asking for prayer. So I want to have everybody just stand up with me. Let's pray. Let's pray for our brother this morning.